following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. Now we're back into Exodus. What a great story. What a great narrative of history to, to see God's hand and to see this, this picture of redemption. We're calling it Redemption's Journey. That it is God's movement among his people. Uh, It is our story. It's not just the story of ancient Israel uh, several thousand years ago coming out from bondage uh, into uh, the promised land after their wanderings. But it is our story. Uh, It is a picture of how God redeems his people. Uh, That it is a cosmic story uh, of the creator God of the universe confronting the principalities and powers of this world uh, and destroying them and ultimately in Christ destroying uh, Satan and death itself and giving us the freedom to come into the promised land, to come into heaven itself through the work of Christ Uh, that he passes over us because we are covered uh, with the blood uh, of Christ. That in Ephesians it says, uh, and that that Christ will bring into his presence uh, the children of God, and they will plunder there if they will bring with them plunder. And it's the picture of when Egypt left Israel. It says that they plundered Israel, that they came uh, with gifts. It's this picture of how God provides. It's our story all along the way. And so I want you to make sure that you're not reading this just as a historic narrative. History can be boring. I love history, but for some people, history can be boring. I find history to be fascinating because history is made up of individuals like me and you. They had emotion. They had strengths. They had weaknesses. They had dreams and expectations for how life was supposed to be. Uh, They had hopes and they had, they were just us. They had disappointments when things didn't go the way that they thought they were supposed to go, when the script that the Almighty God of the universe wrote differed so profoundly from the script that they would have written for their own lives. That's our story. And so as you read Exodus, enter into it personally. Enter into it with a mindset. uh, Instead of seeing Moses as just this weak, whiny individual, See him also as a man who was weak just like me and you. We talked about that last week, that God loves to use flawed people to do incredible things. Be amazed in the presence of the Savior Christ, that he has taken up residence within you. And this week, I hope you took seriously my challenge that you would be a burning bush to somebody else this week, that you would be the presence of God in their lives, that you would... You would detour them from their common daily walk and that they would see in you the beauty of a savior who would astound them and challenge them and lead them to life so don't just look at it as this cool burning bush over there see the deeper meanings within it and today today we're going to see and really i I, i'm terrible with titles the staff can tell you and attest to that i'm no good with titles And so the title that I gave this one was God's Strong Arm of Deliverance. And it is his strong arm of deliverance. But really what we're going to hit on and touch on is how do we we deal with God when things don't go the way that we think they're supposed to go? 
how, how do we, how do we, how do we wrestle with our heavenly Father, the great I am, who was and is and is to come, he who has no flaws, he who is in inapproachable light, on whose ground is holy ground that we stand. How do we, how do we wrestle with that? And that's sort of the story that we're coming to uh, in chapters 5 and 6 today. We're only going to look at part of it. Remember that this is a primer to the book of Exodus, not an exhaustive treatment of every verse of Exodus. So I encourage you uh, to be reading along with us, to be filling in some of the blanks. As you have questions about some of the different areas uh, that I'm not teaching on, feel free to send me an email or someone stopped me this week at the office and asked me a question and said, hey, here, this section, I've always had trouble with this section. Can you help me with this section? And I was glad to do that. I'd be glad to do that. Andrew would be glad to do that. Just get in touch with us, uh, however, during the course of the week, and we'd be glad to touch base on those things. But this is the story of now Moses has encountered God at the burning bush. He's been given uh, his marching orders, per se. He's been given signs and wonders to use. God gave him three uh, signs. Uh, He said, you've got the staff in your hand. Throw it down, and it turns into a snake. Pick it up, it turns back into a staff. He said, take your hand, stick it in your cloak. And he put his hand in his cloak, and he pulled it out, and the hand was leprous. And I can imagine that would freak you out. And he would, ah. Now he's seen a staff turn into a snake and turn back into a staff. He's seen his own healthy hand turn into a leprous hand. And he said, now put it back into your cloak and pull it out. And it was healthy again. And then he said, you're gonna, another one you're going to have to trust me on is when you go into Egypt, grab water out of the Nile and pour it on the ground in front of the people. And it's going to turn to blood uh, on the ground there in front of them. And that's going to convince them that I've sent you into Egypt and I will fulfill my promises to them. I am going to deliver them. So Moses, you need to head on and go that way. And by the way, Moses, I'm sending my, your brother Aaron to you. He's already on his way to meet you. You haven't seen him in 40 years. What a great reunion that had to be. And to know that, that Moses was... Have you ever seen the movie The King's Speech? I'd encourage you. It's a great movie. I don't condone all the language in it, but it's a good movie. Uh, and the king has a, is a stammerer. He, he has a speech impediment. And many scholars believe that that's what Moses had. That Moses said, I have uncircumcised mouth. I, I, I can't speak. I have a thick tongue. And, and so you wonder, here God is calling Moses uh, to go in and be a voice to someone who is terrified to speak in public. Shepherding would have been a perfect occupation for him because he wouldn't have to speak publicly. And God said, Moses, I'm sending your brother Aaron. He'll be your mouthpiece. You, you perform the miracles. You, you be there and be the communicator, but Aaron's going to be there with you. And so Moses and his family go back, and there's some pretty cool things that happen there as they're going back. And it seems, though, that Aaron's wife and his son stay back, ultimately stay back with, uh, in Midian. They go part of the way. And then it's Moses and Aaron heading in to Egypt. And they go in in front of Pharaoh, and they tell Pharaoh, Pharaoh, God says to let his people leave, to come out into the desert to worship him. And Pharaoh says no. Pharaoh doesn't flinch. Pharaoh says, I don't know your God and I don't know you. And I'm not about to relent. And then all of a sudden, things, the, the wheels start to come off of Moses' ministry. And so that's where we're going to pick it up. The wheels have come off. You know the story, many of you, where Pharaoh said, we're not going to give you any straw for your bricks. And that's where we pick it up. The people were now laboring 
without all of the resources that they needed as slaves to perform the tasks that they were given. And if you have your Bible, pick up with me in verse 15 of chapter 5. This is the word of the Lord. Then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, Pharaoh said, You are idle, you are idle. That is why you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. He's basically saying, You're lazy. Go now and work. No straw will be given you. You must but you must deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. And they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why do you, did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses, And said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of this land. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people out of Israel, out of the land of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. May he add his blessing to the reading and hearing of it. Let's pray. Father, we ask now that you would truly answer our prayer to add your blessing to this time. That this wouldn't just be a speech, this wouldn't just be an encouragement talk or just reading ink on a page we would hear from you. Speak, for your servants do listen. To Christ be the glory. Amen. So do you see the scene? It's a discouraging scene, isn't it? Imagine being in slavery for all of those years, and you cry out to the Lord. 
You have watched your children be massacred. You've watched your families decimated. You have worked and labored under the intensity of a Middle Eastern sun. You have labored under the hands of taskmasters and slave drivers uh, who are, are oppressing you constantly and regularly. Everything in your world is coming apart. You are pressed down to and fro. And you cry out to the Lord. And we said it was as if he never listened. They cried out and they cried out uh, to the Lord. And it was 80 years later, at least, at the very minimum, that Moses showed up and came back in. And you can only imagine the people, if they had any hope left at all, if they had any belief uh, that God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God who they had heard about. Now listen to this. They'd only heard about him in oral tradition. The, the Torah had not been written yet. The Pentateuch had not been written onto scrolls yet. Moses did that later. And so it was all through oral tradition. It, it was at the end of one of those horribly laborious days when they came in and, and their hands were wrecked with blisters and blood. Their backs were beaten to raw, uh, that they were there around a fire eating what little bit of food that they possibly could have had. And the patriarch of the home would have said, let me tell you a story about our fathers who came into this land through Joseph and Jacob. And God provided and God made a covenant promise to them and he'll be faithful. Children, grandchildren, great grands he'll be faithful don't lose hope don't lose hope god is still faithful to his people even if you can't see it and they held on to that and then moses came back and he preached words of life he came back and he spoke with such power of this god who he met in the desert who introduced himself as I am. I am that I am. I'm not just El Shaddai, and we'll talk about that in a second. I'm not just God Almighty. I am God, the beginning and the end, who has no beginning and no end, who is self-existent, who is all-consuming, who is this God. And I'm coming in his name, is what Moses said, and God will deliver us from the hand of Pharaoh. And the people didn't believe him. Because it says then earlier in chapter 5 that he had to use uh, the miracles that God gave him. You would hope that the people would have believed him, but they didn't. And so he said, okay, here's proof. You see this staff in my hand? And he threw it down. And it became a serpent, and the people were amazed. And he said, see, I come in the name and the power of God. But they'd seen that one before because in Egyptian uh, traditions, it says that even the Egyptian uh, priests and priestesses could do some of those things. And so he picked the staff up. And he said, no, watch this. And he put his hand in his cloak. And he pulled it out and it was leprous. And you saw the people were amazed. And he put it back in and it came out healthy again. But they still weren't convinced because it says in chapter 5 that he had to do all three miracles. So he went over to the Nile and he scooped up water from the Nile. And they knew that the Nile was the life-giving. It was the vein of life, the artery of life through the desert. And it gave life and he pulled out the water and he poured it onto the ground and it was blood. And finally the people said, okay, we trust you and we believe you. We're going we're gonna to allow our hopes to get up. We're going 
to go against everything that makes sense. And we're going to trust in a God who sends the former Pharaoh's kid, adopted Hebrew murderer with a stammer who's been gone for 40 years back. We'll trust you and we'll go. And it says that Moses went into Pharaoh's presence and Pharaoh was unconvinced. And not only was Pharaoh unconvinced, Pharaoh said, I'm going to make your life miserable. How dare you challenge me? How dare you come into my presence and demand that I let you go? My free labor to let you go. You know how weak I would look in the eyes of my people. I am Ra. I am the incarnate God of all the deities of my people. I am God. And no one comes into my throne room and tells me what to do. So he went and he oppressed the people even more. And that leads us to our first point. Do you get the context? It wasn't a cheery day. On the, we're upset today because it's cool and rainy and we don't get to go to the beach. I'm not sure the people of Exodus 4 and 5 would have any empathy for us at all. Or our brothers and sisters in Christ currently around the world who are being persecuted under the hands of dictators just like Pharaoh. Who are being crushed for their faith. And they're holding out hope that God's faithful to his promises. Because nothing that they see convinces them that that's true. And so here's the first point. Obedience to God's calling doesn't mean life will be easy. Obedience to God's calling doesn't make life easy. Following or some want to talk about being in God's will and out, I'm not going to debate the the validity of that, but it's this idea of if I'm following God, if I'm doing what God has called me to do, and I'm trusting Him, then life's supposed to be easy, but the reality is, it's not so often. And some of you are incredibly discouraged this morning, because when you came to faith, that's what you were presented. You heard a pastor, or a friend, or a family member who stood up in front of you, and said, if you come to Jesus, everything's going to be okay. Your marriage is going to make it. Your kids are going to make it. Uh, Your finances are going to be fine. Those addictions that you struggle with, they're just going to disappear like that. Everything's going to be okay. And this story reminds us that the reality of life is very different. Oftentimes, right when we're smack dab in the middle of living for Christ, life becomes unwielding. It becomes overwhelming. It becomes more difficult. You see, Moses did exactly what God requested of him and things didn't go well at all. God said, go talk to the people. He went and talked to the people. God said, use these three signs. He used the three signs. God said, now go in and talk to Pharaoh with the elders. That's one discrepancy. It doesn't say that the elders went with him. So maybe or maybe not. But Moses went in and doesn't tell us whether he used the signs, but God had told him to use those signs with Pharaoh. So he went into Pharaoh's uh, throne room and had audience with Pharaoh. And he said to Pharaoh, here, here's who you're dealing with. Staff, hand, water from the Nile. And he was thinking, okay, God, I did my part. 
I obeyed you. I took you at your word. I'm doing this. I'm living a life of faith. I'm stepping out in faith. I'm making a movement of faith. Where are you? And Pharaoh basically said, get out. How, who are you? He said, not only, Moses, do I not recognize you or your authority, I do not recognize the authority of the God in whom you speak, and I am going to make now your people cursed even more underneath me. Can you imagine Moses? Have you ever felt that way? Can you relate to Moses at all? Yeah, if you're honest, you can. God, I'm trying to live my life for you. I'm trying to honor you in my marriage. I'm trying to honor you in my business. I'm trying to honor you in my home. And things don't seem to be going the way that they're supposed to be going. And you can imagine the people of Israel, not just the leadership of Moses, but the people of Israel must have gone, we got our hopes up for this. And now there's no straw. It didn't mean that there was no straw in Egypt. It just simply meant this. The Egyptians were, they had some niceness in them, I guess, because they, they at least provided the straw for the slaves to make the bricks. Now what he's saying is this, we're not providing the straw anymore. You get your own straw. You, you get your own straw. And it added labor uh, to the people. And, and there were taskmasters over them. And they were Israelites who worked uh, and sort of you know, worked as they were team leaders, if you want to put it that way. They made sure that things were working. And they were being whipped by the Egyptian leadership over top of them. And it was breaking their backs. And, and not in Pharaoh said, not only do you not get straw, you're still going to have to make the same amount of bricks every day. I'm not relenting on you. And you can only imagine how, have you ever gotten your hopes up? Just to believe one more time against all odds. And it falls apart. Once bitten, twice shy, Right? And then the next time, you basically are going to go, I'm not falling for that again. I was a sucker once. Not again. And that's where the people were. It says later that their spirits were broken. Their spirits have been broken. Have you ever been around a person whose spirit has been broken? They're some of the saddest people that you'll ever be around. Because they've lost hope. It's the tension of a parent. You want to train up your child without breaking their spirit. And and you want to raise them up without crushing them. But the people of God at this time were crushed. You see, obedience to God's call doesn't mean life's going to be easy. And in the middle of that not easy life, we so often have to battle discouragement. Moses did. I can't imagine my first ministry stepping out in faith and doing exactly what I was called to do, exactly what I was told to do, and it go that way. And, and look at how Moses' session came around. Look at the members of his church, what they said to him uh, after that meeting. Moses, the Lord look on you and judge you. Basically, they said, we would really like you to be damned and crushed under the hand of God. Because here's what we think about your ministry. You made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put the sword in their hand to kill us. Thanks, Moses. We appreciate you as the leader of our church. You think Moses just felt great at that moment? Boy, I can't wait for tomorrow to go into the office. Honey, 
Great day, kids. Don't you want to go into ministry? <laughs> That's awesome. Moses wrestled with discouragement. And the people of God were discouraged. Have any of y'all ever been discouraged in your Christian life? A few of you. That's discouraging. We get discouraged because things seem to go the way that we thought they should go. We get discouraged because opposition doesn't turn and run like we thought they were supposed to. Instead, they dig their heels in. That Pharaoh, instead of cowering in front of this awesome God, he became more defiant. You felt that in your life. You call in the name of Jesus. You've said, I know if I call in the name of Jesus, then everything in my past is supposed to fall away. And so I'm calling on the name of Jesus. I'm doing this. And it seems that Satan gets stronger and not weaker in front of you. And you understand an awful lot about Elijah in chapter 18 and 19 of 1 Kings. When Elijah stood and he obeyed God and fire came down from heaven and it was this awesome victory and there was this massive revival that was happening in the people. And in the beginning of chapter 19, Jezebel, the queen, this horrible pagan queen, this nasty woman, she said, and she was defeated. She'd been defeated the day before. And she said to Elijah through a messenger, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to make your life a miserable hell. I'm going to kill you. And Elijah just looked around and went, what is up with this? Nothing has changed. And he walked out into the desert and he just wanted to die. He prayed to God. He said, God, just take my life. I'm so tired of fighting a battle that doesn't seem to be able to be won. I'm standing and I'm standing and I'm so dadgum tired that all I want to do is just go to sleep. And not wake up until I'm in your presence. You ever felt that way? You ever had those long nights and seasons of life? And you cry out to God? That's where Moses was. And he cried out to the Lord. You see, when we get into this situation where obedience to God's call isn't making things any easier in our life and we start to battle discouragement, we cry out to the Lord. Look at verse 22. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. I don't catch whininess in there. I catch an impassioned servant of God who is disillusioned at the moment. And he's crying out to God. And he's questioning God's purpose. He's questioning God's integrity. He's questioning God. And it's interesting that God must think it's okay because he doesn't destroy Moses. If you're a parent and your kid crosses the line, you have the rebuttal of, it's now time for you to leave right now. You can now, you can now be escorted out because we're done here. God doesn't say that to Moses. You see what Moses did? Moses questioned God's goodness. Why have you caused trouble for this people? He questioned God's providence or his purpose. Why did you ever send me? And he questioned God's actions. You haven't delivered your people at all. You haven't held up your end of the bargain, God. All right, this is a moment of honesty. 
Some of you were raised in cultures, in families and in churches that said you don't get to question God. That it's irreverent and that you're supposed to just accept what God gives you, suck it up and move on. So I realize that and I want to respect that. But underneath that, I was raised in that home. I was raised in that kind of church. It didn't keep me from having profound questions of God though. Have any of you ever had a profound question that you would really like to ask God? And I mean more so than how did a parrotfish have purple and blue and red all on the same fish. That's pretty cool. I mean profound questions about God. About reading the headlines. It doesn't take much this week to read the headlines. And to wonder, God, are you good? Is your purpose happening? Imagine there's a family of an 18-year-old boy in Colombia who's questioning deeply if God is good. Because they found him dead in a fraternity house on Wednesday morning. And there's a family who's questioning the goodness of God because a mother and her three children were killed on I-20 in a fiery car accident this week. And there are people all around our country who are questioning whether God is good That they've served God faithfully in their lives. And nothing has happened. Nothing has happened. It all seems to be going the other way. And they want to cry out to God. But maybe they've been taught you can't do that. I want to free you from that. And here it is. With reverence and with honor. Because he still is God. But with truthfulness you can question God. You can email me later if you don't agree with that. Or come meet with me. But I will stand firm on that one. God is a big boy and he can take it. He is an awesome God who invites his people to be real within him. Now the answer may come just as it did with Christ, your big brother, who said, God, is there any possible way that you could do this a different way? I don't want to go to the cross. I do not want to face your wrath. I don't want to drink the cup. And what he heard from God was this, no, there is no other way. And he said, not my will then, but yours be done. But he wrestled with his father. And you have freedom to wrestle with your dad. And to question your dad in heaven. Because what that means is exactly what Moses was doing in the midst of this whole situation. He didn't turn from God. He turned towards God. Some of you have turned from God. Life has gotten so hard. Some things have happened in your life. And things are so bad that you've just given up and you've turned away from God. And you're going, God, I just can't. I'm not dealing with you anymore. I'd invite you, instead of turning away, turn towards him. And let him answer you. Turn towards him in honesty and with gut-wrenching sincerity. Turn towards him and see how he'll respond. And that's going to be our final point. You're probably wondering how many points we had. Well, there's really only one with a bunch of sub-points so far. (laughs) Obedience to God's calling doesn't mean it's easy. And under that, we battle with discouragement. Opposition doesn't turn and run. And then we cry out to the Lord. And then the second point is this. How does God respond to our disappointments? Look what he does. He reminds you of his promises. God has no other answer for you. He gives you himself. Moses turns. He cries out to the Lord. He says, God, I don't get this. And here's what God said. Moses, you're going to see what I will do to Pharaoh. 
And with a strong hand, he'll send them out. With a strong hand, he'll drive them out. And God said further to him, I am the Lord. And I appeared to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty, as God Almighty El Shaddai. But by my name, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. I've established my covenant. I am going. I have heard the groanings of the people of Israel. I have heard them and I've remembered my covenant to them. I'm going to deliver them with an outstretched arm, verse 6, and with great acts of judgment. And I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burdens of Egypt. And I will bring you into a land that I swore and I am going to do it. Do you understand? So when you're wrestling with God and you turn to him, here's what he's going to give you. His sure promises. He's going to remind you of something that you must have forgotten in the midst of your struggle, in the midst of your discouragement, in the midst of your disappointment. What happens to us is we forget God. We forget that he's good. (coughs) Excuse me. So what we need to see, what God knows that we need to see more than anything else, is we need to see him again. Have you ever been with somebody that you love? And maybe something happens between you. A husband and wife, maybe. Parent and child. Good, intimate friends. And what you say to that loved one is you have to speak words of remembrance to them. A husband speaks to his wife words of remembrance. I'm your husband. I'm going to be here. I love you. I'm faithful to you. We're going to make it through this for better or for worse. Sickness or in health, I'm with you. You speak words of remembrance to them, to the child who's upset with you because you didn't let them go out or you grounded them or you did something or you restricted them from what they thought was life-giving. And you come back to them and you have to give words of remembrance. I'm your dad. And I love you. And I would give my life for you. And I've made a decision that I know you don't understand, but don't ever forget who I am and how much I love you. And that I'm going to be here for you. As long as the Lord wills, I will be your dad. And I'll be here for you. That's what God says to an upset, discouraged servant. He says, remind the people that I'm their God. And that I'm incredibly patient. And I'm incredibly faithful And I, by the way, this is the great part. It's great that God is patient with us. It's great that he is faithful to his covenants. And those are good. We want him to be faithful. You know the part that I love? He also says to them, oh, and by the way, I'm all powerful. And I'm going to stretch out my arm. Pharaoh thinks he's going to stretch out his hand. I'm about to stretch out my arm in front of Pharaoh, and he will shudder. Because I am the God of the universe. And you thought that Abraham, Isaac, and, and, and Jacob knew me as El Shaddai, God Almighty? They didn't know me as Yahweh, though. And now I'm revealing myself to you in a more unique way than you have ever experienced. And I am going to shatter. I am going to decimate Pharaoh. Hold on. Hold on, Moses. It's going to happen. And you look at him and you realize he doesn't just have the talk. He's got the bite. You ever seen that kind of person? 
We watched a soccer game yesterday being played, and there was a young man for the other team. And he was a stout young man, 6'3", 215 pounds, ran a 4.540. The kid has, uh, you just wondered, though, you looked at him and went, I wonder if he's any good with his feet, though. Oh, yeah, he was good with his feet. <laughs> he was really fast and really strong, and he scored a lot of goals. And you realized this kid has not only the talk, this has, he, he has the bite, too. And God is saying to you this today. He's reminding you of these words. I am your God. And I will be faithful to you. And I am incredibly strong. For as there is nothing that comes against you that will not fall in my presence. Do you believe that? Even when you don't see it? Do you believe that? That's what God was saying to them. He was saying that I am mightier than your most severe foe. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night nor the arrow that flies by day nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent. You will trample underfoot because he holds fast to me in love. I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him salvation. The words of the psalmist, they found their completion in the words of the apostle. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the Lord, that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Ending point today, Christ has won your victory. Let me say it again. Christ has won your victory. And He still stands for you. And He fights for you. And He is there for you. And if you get all caught up and confused in Revelation about days and years and raptures and all those things, here's the whole point of Revelation. They will make war on the Lamb and the Lamb will overcome. We're going to begin to celebrate that in Holy Week next week with a king who enters into a city triumphant and to a king who goes to a cross triumphant and he wins the victory on your behalf. And you might be standing on Jordan Stormy Banks right now. Looking in. And God promises to get you there. So. As you wrestle with things in life. Matt, you guys can come on up. 
as you wrestle with things in life. Are any of you wrestling with some of these things now? Are there any of you? I am. It's hard sometimes, isn't it, to live the Christian life faithfully in the midst of all this stuff? It's been said about the Christian church that the Christian army is the only army that shoots its own wounded. We're heading towards some place. And there are some of our brothers and sisters, some of them even here today, who are so tired and they're so worn out and their spirits are broken that they're on the side and they need us to come and to kneel down with them and to preach these words of kindness and remembrance to them. To remind them of this goodness and then to walk with them into this beauty called the promised land. Let's be that kind of church, folks, where people who need to hear the gospel hear it. Let me pray. Father, thank you. I pray that you would you'd remind us of yourself. Show us Christ, our ultimate victory. And will we see him this week? To him be the glory. Amen.